Part five of the Song of the Lark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. The Song of the Lark by Willa Seibert Cather. Part five, sections three and four. Three. On Friday afternoon, three Kronberg was walking excitedly up and down her sitting room, which at that hour was flooded by thin, clear sunshine. Both windows were open, and the fire in the grate was low, for the day was one of those false springs that sometimes blow into New York from the sea in the middle of winter, soft, warm, with a persuasive salty moisture in the air and a relaxing thaw underfoot. Thee was flushed and animated, and she seemed as restless as the sooty sparrows that chirped and cheeped distractingly about the windows. She kept looking at the black clock, and then down into the square. The room was full of flowers, and she stopped now and then to arrange them or to move them into the sunlight. After the bellboy came to announce a visitor, she took some Roman hyacinths from a glass and stuck them in the front of her dark blue dress. When at last Fred Ottenberg appeared in the doorway, she met him with an exclamation of pleasure. "'I am glad you've come, Fred. I was afraid you might not get my note, and I wanted to see you before you see Dr. Archie.' he's so nice she brought her hands together to emphasize her statement is he i'm glad you see i'm quite out of breath i didn't wait for the elevator but ran upstairs i was so pleased at being sent for he dropped his hat and overcoat yes i should say he is nice i don't seem to recognize all of these waving his handkerchief about at the flowers yes he brought them himself in a big box he brought lots with him besides flowers Oh, lots of things, the old moonstone feeling. Thee moved her hand back and forth in the air, fluttering her fingers. The feeling of starting out early in the morning to take my lesson. And you've had everything out with him? No, I haven't. Haven't? He looked up in consternation. No, I haven't. Thee spoke excitedly, moving about over the sunny patches on the grimy carpet. I've lied to him, just as you said I had always lied to him, and that's why I'm so happy. I've let him think what he likes to think. Oh, I couldn't do anything else, Fred. She shook her head emphatically. If you'd seen him when he came in, so pleased and excited. You see, this is a great adventure for him. From the moment I began to talk to him, he entreated me not to say too much, not to spoil his notion of me. Not in so many words, of course but if you'd seen his eyes, his face, his kind hands, oh, no, I couldn't. She took a deep breath, as if with a renewed sense of her narrow escape. Then what did you tell him? Fred demanded. Thee sat down on the edge of the sofa and began shutting and opening her hands nervously. Well, I told him enough, and not too much. I told him about how good you were to me last winter, getting me engagements and things, and how you would help me with my work more than anybody. Then I told him about how you sent me down to the ranch when I had no money or anything. She paused and wrinkled her forehead. And I told him that I wanted to marry you and run away to Mexico with you, and that I was awfully happy, until you told me that you couldn't marry me because, well, I told him why. Thee dropped her eyes and moved the toe of her shoe about restlessly on the carpet. And he took it from you like that? Fred asked, almost with awe. Yes, just like that, and asked no questions. He was hurt. 
he had some wretched moments. I could see him squirming and squirming and trying to get past it. He kept shutting his eyes and rubbing his forehead. But when I told him that I absolutely knew you wanted to marry me, that you would whenever you could, that seemed to help him a good deal. And that satisfied him? Fred asked wonderingly. He could not quite imagine what kind of person Dr. Archie might be. He took me by the shoulders once and asked, oh, in such a frightened way, B, was he good to you, this young man? When I told him you were, he looked at me again. And you care for him a great deal? You believe in him? Then he seemed satisfied. B paused. You see, he's just tremendously good and tremendously afraid of things, of some things. Otherwise, he would have got rid of Mrs. Archie. She looked up suddenly. You were right, though. One can't tell people about things they don't know already. Fred stood in the window, his back to the sunlight, fingering the jonquils. Yes, you can, my dear. But you must tell it in such a way that they don't know you're telling it, and that they don't know they're hearing it. Thee smiled past him, out into the air. I see. It's a secret. Like the sound in the shell. What's that? Fred was watching her, and thinking how moving that faraway expression in her happened to be. What did you say? She came back. Oh, something old and moonstony. I have almost forgotten it myself. But I feel better than I thought I ever could again. I can't wait to be off. Oh, Fred, she sprang up. I want to get at it. As she broke out with this, she threw up her head and lifted herself a little on her toes. Fred colored and looked at her fearfully, hesitatingly. Her eyes, which looked out through the window, were bright. They had no memories. No, she did not remember. That momentary elevation had no associations for her. It was unconscious. He looked her up and down and laughed and shook his head. You are just all I want you to be, and that is not for me. Don't worry, you'll get at it. You are at it. My God, have you ever for one moment been at anything else? Thee did not answer him, and clearly she had not heard him. She was watching something out in the thin light of the false spring and its treacherously soft air. Fred waited a moment. Are you going to dine with your friend tonight? Yes. He has never been in New York before. He wants to go about. Where shall I tell him to go? Wouldn't it be a better plan, since you wish me to meet him, for you both to dine with me? It would seem only natural and friendly. You'll have to live up a little to his notion of us. Thee seemed to consider this suggestion favorably. If you wish him to be easy in his mind, Fred went on, that would help. I think myself that we are rather nice together. Put on one of the new dresses you got down there, and let him see how lovely you can be. You owe him some pleasure, after all the trouble he has taken. Thee laughed, and seemed to find the idea exciting and pleasant. Oh, very well, I'll do my best. Only don't wear a dress coat, please. He hasn't one, and he's nervous about it. Fred looked at his watch. Your monument up there is fast. I'll be here with a cab at eight. I'm anxious to meet him. You've given me the strangest idea of his callow innocence and aged indifference. She shook her head. No, he's none of that. He's very good, and he won't admit things. I love him for it. Now, as I look back on it, I see that I've always, even when I was little, shielded him. As she laughed, Fred caught the bright spark in her eye that he knew so well, and held it for a happy instant. Then he blew her a kiss with his fingertips and fled. Four.
at nine o'clock that evening our three friends were seated in the balcony of a french restaurant much gayer and more intimate than any that exists in new york today this old restaurant was built by a lover of pleasure who knew that to dine gaily human beings must have the reassurance of certain limitations of space and of a certain definite style that the walls must be near enough to suggest shelter the ceiling high enough to give the chandeliers a setting the place was crowded with the kind of people who dine late and well and dr archie as he watched the animated groups in the long room below the balcony found this much the most festive scene he had ever looked out upon he said to himself in a jovial mood somewhat sustained by the cheer of the board that this evening alone was worth his long journey he followed attentively the orchestra ensconced at the farther end of the balcony and told thee it made him feel quite musical to recognize the invitation to the dance or the blue danube and that he could remember just what kind of day it was when he heard her practicing them at home and lingered at the gate to listen for the first few moments when he was introduced to young ottenburg in the parlor of the everett house the doctor had been awkward and unbending but fred as his father had often observed was not a good mixer for nothing he had brought dr archie around during the short cab ride and in an hour they had become old friends from the moment when the doctor lifted his glass and looking consciously at thee said to your success fred liked him he felt his quality understood his courage in some directions and what thee called his timidity in others his unspent and miraculously preserved youthfulness men could never impose upon the doctor he guessed but women always could fred liked too the doctor's manner with thee his bashful admiration and the little hesitancy by which he betrayed his consciousness of the change in her it was just this change that at present interested fred more than anything else that he felt was his created value and it was his best chance for any peace of mind if that were not real obvious to an old friend like archie then he cut a very poor figure indeed fred got a good deal too out of their talk about moonstone from her questions and the doctor's answers he was able to form some conception of the little world that was almost the measure of thee's experience the one bit of the human drama that she had followed with sympathy and understanding as the two ran over the list of their friends the mere sound of a name seemed to recall volumes to each of them to indicate minds of knowledge and observation they had in common at some names they laughed delightedly at some indulgently and even tenderly you two young people must come out to moonstone when thee gets back the doctor said hospitably oh we shall fred caught it up i'm keen to know all these people it is very tantalizing to hear only their names would they interest an outsider very much do you think dr archie thee leaned toward him isn't it only because we've known them since i was little the doctor glanced at her deferentially fred had noticed that he seemed a little afraid to look at her squarely perhaps a trifle embarrassed by a mode of dress to which he was unaccustomed well you are practically an outsider yourself thee now he observed smiling oh i know he went on quickly in response to her gesture of protest i know you don't change toward your old friends but you can see us all from a distance now it's all to your advantage that you can still take your old interest isn't it mr ottenburg that's exactly one of her advantages dr archie nobody can ever take that away from her and none of us who came later 
ever hope to rival moonstone in the impression we make her scale of values will always be the moonstone scale and with an artist that is an advantage fred nodded dr archie looked at him seriously you mean it keeps them from getting affected yes keeps them from getting off the track generally while the waiter filled the glasses fred pointed out to fee a big black french baritone who was eating anchovies by their tails at one of the tables below and the doctor looked about and studied his fellow diners do you know mr ottenburg he said deeply these people all look happier to me than our western people do is it simply good manners on their part or do they get more out of life fred laughed at thee above the glass he had just lifted some of them are getting a good deal out of it now doctor this is the hour when bench joy brightens thee chuckled and darted him a quick glance bench joy where did you get that slang that happens to be very old slang my dear older than moonstone or the sovereign state of colorado our old friend mr nathanmeyer could tell us why it happens to hit you he leaned forward and touched thee's wrist see that fur coat just coming in thee it's d'albert he just got back from his western tour fine head hasn't he to go back said dr archie i insist that people do look happier here i've noticed it even on the street and especially in the hotels fred turned to him cheerfully new york people live a good deal in the fourth dimension dr archie it's that you notice in their faces the doctor was interested the fourth dimension he repeated slowly and is that slang too no fred shook his head that's merely a figure i mean that life is not quite so personal here as it is in your part of the world people are more taken up by hobbies interests that are less subject to reverses than their personal affairs if you're interested in thieves voice for instance or in voices in general that interest is just the same even if your mining stocks go down the doctor looked at him narrowly you think that's about the principal difference between country people and city people don't you fred was a little disconcerted at being followed up so resolutely and he attempted to dismiss it with a pleasantry i've never thought about it much doctor but i should say on the spur of the moment that that is one of the principal differences between people anywhere it's the consolation of fellows like me who don't accomplish much the fourth dimension is not good for business but we think we have a better time dr archie leaned back in his chair his heavy shoulders were contemplative and she he said slowly should you say that she is one of the kind you refer to he inclined his head toward the shimmer of the pale green dress beside him thee was leaning just then over the balcony rail her head in the light from the chandeliers below never never fred protested she's as hard-headed as the worst of you with a difference the doctor sighed yes with a difference something that makes a good many revolutions to the second when she was little i used to feel her head to try to locate it fred laughed did you though so you were on the track of it oh it's there we can't get round it miss as thee looked back inquiringly dr archie there's a fellow townsman of yours i feel a real kinship for he pressed a cigar upon dr archie and struck a match for him tell me about spanish johnny the doctor smiled benignantly through the first waves of smoke well johnny's an old patient of mine and he's an old admirer of these she was born a cosmopolitan and i expect she learned a good deal from johnny when she used to run away and go to mexican town we thought it a queer freak then 
The doctor launched into a long story, in which he was often eagerly interrupted or joyously confirmed by Thea, who was drinking her coffee and forcing open the petals of the roses with an ardent and rather rude hand. Fred settled down into enjoying his comprehension of his guests. Thea, watching Dr. Archie and interested in his presentation, was unconsciously impersonating her suave, gold-tinted friend. It was delightful to see her so radiant and responsive again. She had kept her promise about looking her best, when one could so easily get together the colors of an apple branch in early spring. That was not hard to do. Even Dr. Archie felt, each time he looked at her, a fresh consciousness. He recognized the fine texture of her mother's skin, with the difference that, when she reached across the table to give him a bunch of grapes, her arm was not only white, but somehow a little dazzling. She seemed to him taller and freer in all her movements. She had now a way of taking a deep breath when she was interested that made her seem very strong somehow, and brought her at one quite overpoweringly. If he seemed shy, it was not that he was intimidated by her worldly clothes, but that her greater positiveness, her whole augmented self, made him feel that his accustomed manner toward her was inadequate. Fred, on his part, was reflecting that the awkward position in which he had placed her would not confine or chafe her long. She looked about her at other people, at other women, curiously. She was not quite sure of herself, but she was not in the least afraid or apologetic. She seemed to sit there on the edge, emerging from one world into another, taking her bearings, getting an idea of the concerted movement about her, but with absolute self-confidence so far from shrinking she expanded the mere kindly effort to please dr archie was enough to bring her out there was much talk of ara at that time and fred mused that every beautiful every compellingly beautiful woman had an ara whether other people did or no there was certainly about the woman he had brought up from mexico such an emanation she existed in more space than she occupied by measurement the enveloping air about her head and shoulders was subsidized was more moving than she herself, for in it lived the awakenings, all the first sweetness that life kills in people. One felt in her such a wealth of Jugendzeit, all those flowers of the mind and the blood that bloom and perish by the myriad in the few exhaustless years when the imagination first kindles. It was in watching her as she emerged like this, in being near and not too near, that one got, for a moment, so much that one had lost among other legendary things the legendary theme of the absolutely magical power of a beautiful woman after they had left thee at her hotel dr archie admitted to fred as they walked up broadway through the rapidly chilling air that once before he had seen their young friend flash up into a more potent self but in a darker mood it was in his office one night when she was at home the summer before last and then I got the idea, he added simply, that she would not live like other people, that, for better or worse, she had uncommon gifts. Oh, we'll see that it's for better, you and I, Fred assured him. Won't you come up to my hotel with me? I think we ought to have a long talk. Yes, indeed, said Dr. Archie gratefully. I think we ought. End of Part 5, Sections 3 and 4 Recording by Dion Jones, Salt Lake City, Utah.